The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 6. Hi everybody, my name's Kev Eustace and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal. First, a big thank you to everyone who reached out following last week's show, The Great Amherst Mystery. We even had an email from someone who said their great-grandparents used to live in that town around that time, and that versions of the event has been passed down to their family through generations. So it was wonderful to receive an almost first-hand account. And don't forget, if you'd like to reach out to the show for whatever reason, you can email thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. So what do we have in store for you today? Well... I've promised you a terrifying tale for today, and believe me, it truly is. It's very rare when I'm doing the research for these episodes that I end up sleeping with the light on myself, but that's what happened during this one. It's a true paranormal experience, so detailed and so documented, that I'm surprised how it's ever passed me by before. I rarely, if ever, give a warning before an episode, but I will say with this one, If you have small children who listen, maybe have a listen to this first before allowing them to. It's genuinely not down to the language used or anything similar. It's solely because I think this one may leave an imprint. And that's not just hyperbole to promote an episode. That's from my genuine reaction when researching this. But before we hear what I think is one of the darkest episodes we've ever done, I of course need to thank our Patreons. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal believers over at our Patreon, and we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation just to you. When you sign up to Patreon, not only do you receive these episodes ad-free and before anyone else, you also receive an exclusive Patreon-only podcast each and every week called Dark Bites. And that show runs every week, even on the break in between seasons meaning that you won't even miss one week of paranormal content. And of course, by joining our team, it allows the dark paranormal to continue. So head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal, just like these wonderful new team members have. Caitlin Woodward, Emma Thompson, Rasheel Smolinski, Heidi Gray, Sylvie Laflamme, Amanda, Emma, Lucky Dargan, Natalie Pereira, Patricia Valencia, Sandy Zapien, Rachel Scott, Daniel Jameson, Megan Horowitz, Dean Mercer, and Jennifer Collagrosi. Thank you so much, guys, for supporting the Dark Paranormal and allowing it to continue. So if you'd like to be a supporter of the show and gain access to the entire back catalogue of Dark Bites episodes, head over to patreon.com forward slash the Dark Paranormal. But right now, lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, 
and leave your disbelief at the door as we hear all about the possession of Anna Eklund. Father Theophilus believes the Antichrist is coming soon. He believes that a false prophet will rise, who in reality is Lucifer himself. He will seemingly have the answer to all of our problems and be idolized as if a god. He will not be born of a woman, but will construct a body for himself out of earthly matter in order to plot as a man amongst men our downfall. Father Theophilus believes this due to what he himself witnessed in the true documented paranormal experience that you are about to hear. This episode is not for the faint of heart. It's 1896, winter, and a 14-year-old Anna Eklund is stood across the street from her parish church in Wisconsin in the United States. The icy wind whips around her face as she stares blankly at the building in front of her. People hurriedly file their way into the warmth of the church, eager to get a seat for the early morning mass. The priest stands in the doorway smiling and welcomes the parishioners as they pass. Waiting until the last person goes in, the priest backs into the foyer and prepares to close the doors behind him. Looking up, he locks eyes with Anna and smiles. Come on in, Anna, it's freezing out here. Anna's expression remains blank. In the blink of an eye, anger rises within her and she spits into the street in the direction of the priest. She appears shocked with what she's just done and holds her hands to her mouth. The priest frowns and shuts the church doors behind him. This had been brewing within Anna over the last few years and she just couldn't explain it. Anna loved church. It was the one connection she had with her recently deceased mother, religion. She felt safe within the congregation. She felt at home within the church's walls. The priest was more of a father to her than her own had been. But lately, whenever she sat on those wooden pews, aggressive hatred coursed through her body. Invasive thoughts rattled at speed through her mind how she could smash every treasured statue, what loose objects she could grab and use as a weapon to pummel the unsuspecting parishioners, and what sexual acts she could attempt to lure the priest into breaking his vows. This time her hatred was so strong, she couldn't bring herself to even cross the street to the side where the church sat. Despite making the journey with every intention of attending Mass, something was affecting her, and whatever it was, was slowly growing stronger. Life had not been easy on Anna up to this point. With the loss of her mother, she was under the sole care of her father, and in this instance, the word care is meaningless. For her father, Jacob, was as evil a human being as they come. Prior to his wife's death, he openly took a mistress, none other than his wife's own sister, Mina. Letting it be known to both his wife and daughter 
there was nothing they could do about this affair other than accept it. They had to accept much more than that. Jacob would openly mock his wife and daughter about their religious beliefs. And even when his wife died and Anna's only link to her was the church, he belittled her, laughing in her face and calling her stupid for believing in such nonsense. Even this mental abuse did not break the surface of the evil Jacob was capable of, because, over the past few years, he had sexually abused Anna, even being twisted enough to try and convince her they should be in an incestuous relationship together. Anna, as best she could, refused and spurned these abhorrent advances. It's believed that following these rejections, Jacob's mistress, Mina, who was fully aware and actually supportive of the abuse, suggested she may have something to change the young Anna's mind. Mina, from sight alone, had an air of the occult about her, always wearing black, matching her dark hair and her sharp but sunken eyes. Word spreading around the town was that she was involved in black magic. Often rumours such as these are baseless, with people assuming the worst based on how someone looks. But in Mina's case, the rumours were perfectly accurate. Mina was an ardent and angry disbeliever in the church. She would take every opportunity to vocalise her hatred of Christianity and took great pleasure in partaking in any activity that flew in the face of a religious doctrine. In recent years, she'd thrown herself into practising black magic, focusing on spells and curses to bend the will of others to her own tastes. And it's with this dark knowledge that Mina placed a curse on some herbs, which were then sprinkled onto Anna's food. Mina's goal was to fill Anna's head with lustful and incestuous thoughts, in the hope she would quickly acquiesce to her father's diabolical advances. Thankfully, Anna did not. However, the curse did have an effect. Perhaps some of Mina's hatred of Christianity seeped into her intent when creating the curse, and this is what led to young Anna now becoming a literal different person when near her parish church. One thing that's undeniable is that the seeds of evil planted by Mina began to bear fruit as Anna matured. She would repeatedly attempt to re-enter the parish church, part of her seemingly understanding that this is where she would find help. But each time she approached, she would lash out. After one final attempt, the parish priest knew he needed to intervene. The priest smiled at the last parishioner as they entered the church and he was about to close the door. A hand reached out and stopped it. Oh, hello Anna. Will you be joining us today? Anna's face was blank, wide-eyed. She nodded slowly, and in a barely perceptible high-pitched whine, said, Yes! Her mouth smiled, though her eyes did not. The priest swallowed hard and forced a smile. Please, come in then. 
We'll begin mass shortly. Anna took one large, elongated step over the threshold of the church. The priest cleared his throat. <clears throat> I must say, Anna, I'm pleased that... The priest backed into the corner in shock. Anna's jaw distended and her eyes seemed to fall back into her head. Her body seemed to fly sideways, knocking over a font of holy water. Her arms reached out towards the priest and with unnatural strength she gripped his head and brought his ear to her mouth. She leant in and started whispering unspeakable sexual acts she was going to do to the priest. A vile laugh left her mouth although her lips didn't move as she took one elongated step backwards over the threshold of the church and ran off into the town. In an attempt to help, the parish priest reached out to Father Theophilus Reisinger, a capuchin from the nearby community of St. Anthony. Father Reisinger agreed to carry out an exorcism on the now 30-year-old Anna Eklund. Not much is documented around this exorcism, but it's believed to have been successful. Anna could once again attend church, and her life seemed to be finally heading to normality once more. Mina, however, was now something of an adept in the occult, and although both she and Jacob were reaching the latter parts of their life, their evil and hatred towards Anna was as strong as ever. For someone so ardently against Christianity, Mina knew the parts of the Bible which would aid her in her dark magic, and, with the knowledge that Anna had recently been exercised of her previous curse, Mina and Jacob referred to one specific piece of scripture. Matthew 12.45 If a spirit that is cast out is allowed to re-enter a person, it will bring with it seven other spirits, each more evil than the last. And so Mina, with the assistance of Jacob, carried out a black mass to request the assistance of Satan himself and prayed unto him, that Anna Eklund may be possessed once again. As with the previous curse, it began slowly and bloomed into something truly awful. Once Jacob and Mina passed away, the effects of the curse snowballed. Anna was sat with her spiritual guidance counsellor, Stephen. She liked it here. The view from her seat looked straight into the garden, the cherry blossom moving back and forth slowly in the spring breeze. Stephen himself was a nice, thoughtful and caring man. But he had to go. He was part of this fucking church. An assistant to the counselling centre burst into the room, pushing Anna to the floor and unwrapping the scarf from the man's neck. Anna surveyed the scene around her completely unaware of what was going on or why she was now on the floor. Stephen slowly recovered and, instead of throwing Anna out or even contacting the police, he decided he would work with Anna to try and get to the root of what was happening to her. As part of his due diligence, several meetings were set up with Anna and medical professionals in order to rule out any mental or physical problems which may account for her behaviour. 
All reports came back giving Anna a 100% clean bill of health, both physically and mentally. For Stephen, this confirmed Anna's problems were of the spiritual kind. I'm not a priest, Stephen began, so I'd like to bring in some members of the clergy into these meetings so we can get some spiritual authority on the situation. Is that okay with you, Anna? Anna nodded. Good, said Stephen. In fact, I think Father Robert's on site today. Let me see if he's available. Stephen went and explained the situation to Father Robert in the staff area. Intrigued, the priest joined Stephen back in the room. Upon entering, Stephen could sense a shift in the air. Anna's face had changed. It looked clammy. There was the beginnings of a smirk creeping slowly up on one side of her face. Hello, Anna. I'm Father Robert, said the priest, smiling and pulling up a chair. I'd just like to say, I really admire you coming in to deal with your spiritual issues. Anna nodded slowly with a wide-eyed grin. I am to Philitium here, I'm in medium, she replied, still with a crooked smile. The priest rose slowly from his chair. She knows Latin, he asked Stephen. No, not that I'm aware of, said Stephen, shaking his head. Why, what did she say? The priest looked at Anna in confusion and fear, before turning to Stephen. Well, she said, I will cut her in half. Father Robert began carrying out a number of tests to see just what Anna was dealing with. He didn't really want this to be a case of possession, but the more tests he carried out, the more it seemed to be the only possible explanation. Father Robert would make sure Anna had three square meals a day whilst under observation. At random times, though, he would sprinkle the tiniest amount of holy water on the meal before it was taken to Anna. Without fail, each and every time he'd done this, she would screech and launch the plate against the wall of the room, with the counselling staff and clergy now convinced they were dealing with the demonic. They called on the one priest who knew Anna's history, Father Theophilus Reisinger. Father Reisinger was quickly brought up to speed with the situation. He also took note that word had spread about Anna's condition and small groups were starting to gather outside. To have the best chance of this exorcism being successful, he would need to take Anna to a place where they could have privacy. And so he called his close friend, Father Steiger, the parish priest of a small town called Erling, Iowa. Father Steiger was initially reticent to take the girl in, if he was to believe his good friend, Father Reisinger, and he did. Then he would literally be inviting the devil into his parish. However, Reisinger convinced him the move was essential to the ritual's success, and so Steiger reluctantly gave the go-ahead. Father Steiger arranged for Anna and Father Reisinger to carry out the exorcism in a nearby Franciscan convent. The Mother Superior there had already promised any assistance needed would be provided. Plus, there was a small infirmary on site, should it be required at all. And so, on the morning of the 18th of August, 1928, opening prayers for the Roman ritual began. Almost instantly, 
Anna's mouth clamped shut and she aggressively breathed through her nose. Her eyes rolled back into her head and she slowly began to rise from the bed. It took several nuns to pull her limbs and force her down to the bed so Father Reisinger could continue. The nuns were in complete shock with what was taking place, some immediately falling to their knees and repeating the Lord's Prayer. Meanwhile, <laughs> laughter came from Anna's throat, although again her mouth remained shut. Her eyes rolled over to stare at one particular nun. You stole from your dying grandmother's past, you know, good wretch. The nun screamed and ran out of the room. Father Reisinger warned the other nuns not to pay attention, even if the things Anna was saying were truthful. Anna rolled her head again and stared at another nun. This nun is no virgin. Again, the nun left the room crying. In fear all of their secrets would be revealed, all of the nuns left the room, <laughs> much to the amusement of the thing in the bed. For the next eight days, Father Reisinger kept up his battle with the entities inside of Anna. However, they were not leaving without a fight. Each night, Anna would howl and scream like a wild animal. The intense volume of these cries were enough to reach the sleeping residence of Erling. And soon, once more, a crowd began to form. Following a meeting with the Mother Superior... Father Reisinger decided to pause proceedings and therefore allow some time for the community to lose interest. Anna stayed at the convent and, by all accounts, her affliction seemed to have lessened somewhat. Reisinger knew, however, that there was still a long way to go. And so, with the sentient Anna's agreement, a second round of exorcism began on September the 13th. Again, opening prayers were given. This time, though, there was no initial response from Anna, who lay there with her eyes closed. Father Reisinger concentrated on the text and continued to make the sign of the cross in the air. Father, one of the nuns whispered, Look! The nun pointed to Anna. As she lay, seemingly unconscious, her lips began pulsating as if they had been stung by wasps. They soon began swelling, so much so all present were leaning away in fear that they might just burst. At the same time, a strange language was seemingly coming from Anna's throat in a hoarse whisper. Father Reisinger continued making the sign of the cross, and soon enough, the voices died down and Anna's lips stopped swelling. The room fell quiet, and everyone took a breath for a moment. Anna sat bolt upright in bed. Her eyes were rolled to the back of her head and her jaw was distended. There followed an intense buzzing sound, and a swarm of mosquitoes seemingly appeared from nowhere. Filling the room with a black insect fog, Father Reisinger commanded the nuns to pray to the Blessed Virgin Mary, whilst he continued with the text. The buzzing died down as quickly as it started, until not a single mosquito could be seen, flying nor on the floor dead. Anna was also laying back down in bed, seemingly asleep. Over the next days, the battle raged, and throughout all of this, not only did Anna not eat or drink, but she urinated litres of water per day 
and defecated in amounts too large for someone with nothing in their stomach. On the 20th of September, Reisinger made a decision that if the exorcism was not completed today, they would need to take a break for the sake of Anna's physical health. And so, he entered that day's session with additional gusto and to prove a point. As he entered the room, Anna's emancipated frame was sat upright to meet him. She smiled the glazed-over smile which let Reisinger know she was under, and in a high-pitched voice said, We should meet. I am Mina, and you will die in a car crash unless you leave this girl to us. Unfazed, Father Reisinger asked, And who exactly are us? (laughs) Anna just laughed. In the name of Jesus Christ, give me your names, shouted Reisinger. Anna's face dropped, and in a deeply gravelly voice, which seemed to come from just behind her, said, We are Jacob, Judas, Mina, Beelzebub, Lucifer. With this, Anna vomited what appeared to be tobacco leaves all over the bed, accompanying which came an ungodly sulfuric smell which filled the room. A day of intense prayer followed. However, much to Reisinger's dismay, there was too much to do in too little time. In a final prayer to the archangels, Father Reisinger doused Anna's entire body in holy water, and the effect was instantaneous. Anna's stomach and chest began to swell. Not only that, the metal frame which held the bed together began to buckle under an intense weight which was seemingly growing in mass from within Anna's body. Her head swelled to twice its original size. Her skin was as red as the embers of a fire. Finally, Anna sighed a long sigh, and as once more the sulfuric stench filled the room, her body returned to its normal state. Reisinger was unsure just how much Anna would be able to physically take, and so the second session was officially called to an end. A week later, Father Reisinger was driving through the town, replaying the happenings in his mind, trying to think of something he may have missed, a weakness, something he could exploit. Maybe... A car sped through a red light and hit the passenger side of his vehicle. Spinning it round a number of times before coming to rest in a bush at the side of the road. Passers-by rushed to his aid, and to both his and their shock, he was totally fine, despite the car being a write-off. The person who hit him was also miraculously okay enough to walk out of the accident. He approached the priest, shaking his head and apologising profusely. My brake wouldn't go down. The accelerator was jammed. I've no idea what happened. Father Reisinger had an idea. Mina had warned him. On December the 15th, Father Reisinger began the opening prayers for the third time. He could tell instantly that the demons inside were getting both anxious and annoyed, that he had not just given up. She's ours, you pious bastard. Came a voice from under the head of the apparently sleeping Anna. Reisinger would not stop, however, because he could sense he was finally winning. The screams and howls of the first exorcism were now replaced by moans and whines, the constant praying and 
Reisinger believed, the strong faith of Anna herself, was finally grinding down the resolve of the demons down. For the next eight days, Reisinger repeated his demands for the demons to depart to hell and to announce themselves as they did so. And finally, on the 23rd of December at 9pm, Anna sat bolt upright in bed, her head tilted back to an unnatural angle, and she screamed, Judas, Mina, Jacob, Beelzebub, Lucifer, hell, hell, hell! A wind whipped up around the room, delivering one final horrific sulfuric smell, and Anna collapsed onto the bed. She began crying, and in her own voice said, My Jesus, mercy, praise be Jesus Christ. Finally, after several decades of possession and multiple exorcisms, Anna Eklund was free. I didn't realise just how documented this case was. There is actually a pamphlet that was created at the time that you can find online called Begone Satan, and it details everything that took place during those second exorcisms. I would suggest if you're interested you find that pamphlet because, unbelievably, I've not managed to fit everything that took place into today's episode. But I will say one thing, and again, this isn't hyperbole, but be careful what you look for. This is the 64th episode of The Dark Paranormal, and I'm being genuinely truthful when I say, during the research and recording of this episode, it's the one true paranormal experience that I've recorded, where I felt like even I was putting my nose in where it wasn't wanted. I've had computer malfunctions, I've been struck down with an inner ear illness which has made me unable to stand up. A lot of things which don't get me wrong will be coincidental, I know that. But I think the best way I can describe it is you'll be aware of the saying, be careful when you look into the darkness because sometimes it looks back. Well, in all my time as a paranormal podcaster, this is the one episode where I could say it does feel as if something was looking back. But I don't want to dwell on that too much. For our Patreons, I'll speak to you again on Sunday for another Patreon-only episode of Dark Bites. And to all of you, thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with me here on The Dark Paranormal. So, until next week, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time, here on The Dark Paranormal. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.